Good morning, Oikos Church. Are we glad to be here this morning? Awesome. This is the end of summer, so I congratulate all of you because many people are still on vacation and they're traveling or their kids are disappointed that school's starting, parents are delighted that school's starting, and they're doing their thing, but I'm glad that you decided that this is the place to be on Sunday morning right before school and activities start going and your schedule starts flowing and you start thinking about all the things that you need to do this fall, or some of you may be even crazy and be thinking about what you need to do for Christmas, but summer's ending. We're into a new season, and as we end this series called Three Churches, we're in this place called Troas. Now, just a little bit of history. Paul comes into Troas, and he doesn't stay very long. Maybe we don't really know how long, but he basically comes in, stops through. A couple people receive the word of Jesus and believe, and then he leaves. And they think he was gone for maybe 12 months to 18 months. And where we start today is him returning to Troas. And that's in chapter 20 of Acts, and we are in verse 6. After the Passover ended, we boarded boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia, and five days later joined them in Troas, where we stayed for a week. And verse 7, on the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. So just to kind of set the scene for today, Paul was there, let's say 18 months ago. Let's go to the extreme. He spoke to just a few, and they received the message of Jesus. And then he returns to Troas again. And they are meeting weekly. Have you ever kind of felt alone in your faith? Any of you ever felt kind of alone? Because you'd be in good company with the first believers at Troas. Can you imagine? I walk into an area of Houston that hasn't experienced the gospel and I run into Leslie and Albert. And they're really excited about Jesus. But they don't know any of you. They're so excited about Jesus, but they're all alone. Can you begin to picture that? No one else to talk about Jesus. They still have their jobs to do, right? You still got to go to Whole Foods. Still got to, you know, take care of kids. But no one else really knows about Jesus. So it's all up to you. Because I'm gone. Because I just kind of talk to you guys about Jesus and then I leave a week afterwards. If you get that sense, then you can begin to jump into the church of Troas. Because what they did is in those few short days with Paul, they began to build a predictable pattern that we still do today. This is one of the references that we use for why we worship on Sunday mornings. Did you know that? It's this scripture right here. On the first day of the week, that's it, that's why. On the first day of the week. So they knew that the Sabbath was on the seventh day. 
And really for Jews, the seventh day could have been a Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, but it was Saturday. So on the first day, it's very clear that Christians at this point said, we're going to worship on the day that Jesus was resurrected. Because on that day, everything changed. So we don't really have a lot of references of why most churches worship on Sunday morning. But if you ever wondered why, this is one of them. On the first day of the week, they began that predictable pattern. The second thing, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. So what did they do? Let's go back to this picture. It's Leslie and Albert. They heard all the stories about Jesus. They probably, Paul would, would have instructed them about the upper room. He would have told them about celebrating the Lord's Supper, eating of the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus. He would have told them how to do it rightly. And then he would have said bye, and I would have said bye. And you do it. And gradually through their relationships, they would begin asking people to come to an upper room, some space, to gather together to pray, to have some real purpose together. I bet you gather together to celebrate some great things in your family. They did baptisms up there. He would have told you about baptisms too, just so you know. Baptisms, Lord's Supper, very important things because it was the life of the church. It was predictable patterns. It was God at work in people. I think as a modern church, we often forget, how did the church really grow? So Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where they met, this is verse 8, was lighted with many flickering lamps. So obviously they didn't have electricity. So you need to be thinking about an upper room, smaller than this room, maybe 30 to 50 people, maybe gathered in that spot. Because Paul was talking so long, they had to light some lights, right? Those were torches. And the upper room would have been maybe a second, maybe third story of a house. And the windows would be much like you see down south. Have you guys ever walked through a southern home where you can lift up the window and walk through? A walk-through window? Has anyone ever done that? I think they're absolutely awesome. Our house doesn't have it, but I wish we did. But you just lift up the whole window and you can walk right through it. As a walk-through window, and the reason why they did that is so that the breeze could flow through the house. So in this upper room, it wasn't like a little windows up there with glass panes. It was just an open space. That was a window. And that kind of sets the story for the craziness that happens here. As Paul spoke on and on, because preachers never do that, a young man named Eutychus, great name, sitting on the windowsill, so you can kind of see, they're all gathered together. They're listening to Paul. He's sitting on this open space. And he starts getting tired. 
Starts in the head bob, right? I've seen people do that. <laughs> and I think about calling out your name. Next time I'm just going to get off the stage and while you're sleeping I'm going to push you off your chair. <laughs> Sitting on the windowsill he became very drowsy. Finally he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories. So it was three, sorry. I, didn't, I said two or three. This was three stories to his death below. Kind of a bad way to end a church service, huh? <laughs> Guess you're going to have a funeral <laughs> right away. But I'll tell you what hit me on this verse. What was interesting is that Eutychus was even there. He's a young kid. And when we're thinking about young kids here in the New Testament, we're not talking about um, a 20 or 22-year-old. That would have been a grown man. Because remember, people didn't live that long, so that was middle age when you started hitting your mid-20s. Sorry to all you that are in your mid-20s. I would have been like, he's about ready to die. So Eutychus was a young boy, maybe 12 14, somewhere in there. Think about what we do in the modern church. In many churches, you're 12 or 14, you've got a separate program, so you're just sent out the door. You don't even worship with the other people. Think about the children. Most of the children, they're just sent out, never to worship with their parents. They have their own separate Kids' church. Think about the young adults. Maybe they have to stay because churches don't know what to do with you. But in this church at Troas, everybody was together. Everybody was wanting to hear the word of God from Paul. Even a 12-year-old boy. He fell asleep, granted, but he was there. And I thought that was interesting because the picture of the New Testament church is not one of a church that has a bunch of programs directed at individuals. The New Testament church is about families. So they didn't depend on the best youth program so that they could grow. They didn't hire a dynamic youth leader who would gather a bunch of kids and get them excited. Right? We didn't see that in here, right? No, they, the youth were invited up to an upper room that was smoky to listen to a guy speak for 12 hours. Now today we go, oh, that's a disaster. <laughs> what are you doing? The church didn't depend on a host of Bible studies offered at the temple to grow. You didn't hear Paul go, and after this, we've got a whole list of Bible studies that you can attend to be discipled. He just didn't do that. The church didn't depend on the best building in town to grow. No, they had an upper room. what they had. 
They used what was given to them. They didn't try to make their time together, the commitment of coming together, convenient, did they? Oh, ouch. <laughs> we are such in a time frame. I've, how many people go to a church service and they go, it better only be an hour because I've got other things going on. Or I'll give you an hour and a half, but it better be interesting. Right? It, it better fulfill my needs. No, the early church, what the early church did was they said, we're in this together because I want to pull you back again. Who started Troas? Maybe a couple people. And those couple people were so excited about the one thing that they had and the one thing they had was Jesus. The message that he was for them. It's one of the biggest proof texts of why it's difficult not to believe in Jesus. Because how could Paul share a message to just a couple of people in this little town of Troas and have it actually start a church with him not even really being there? How could they do predictable patterns so quickly? And how could they be willing to sit and listen to the story of God for 12 hours? They didn't have a whole bunch of things going on. All they had was Jesus. So what did they depend on? They didn't depend on all these programs. They depended on listening to the Word of God. This is something that we can learn from them, right? Because it's the Word of God that we often push aside. And we don't depend on it. We wait till there's an emergency and then we grab it. Or the emergency happens and we forget it. Because maybe we've pushed it so far aside we don't even know where it is. They depended on following Paul, submitting to his leadership, even when he wasn't there, because they believed that Paul had submitted to Jesus completely and followed him. So a week, right? Just a week. You're so excited about the message of Jesus that you go, whatever he does, that's what I'm going to do. Everything else that I have going on gets pushed to the side. Now remember, they were living in a Jewish culture. So I think this is going to speak to our hearts here in Houston. I, well, I hope so. If not, then just nod your heads. They were living in a Jewish culture. That means Sabbath was set aside for religious activities. In Houston, we kind of set aside Sundays, right, for religious activities. So what they had to do, these, this small little church in Troas, is that there was a day set aside, and remember Christianity was just seen by the Roman authority as a subset of Judaism, and that's why they were able to meet. Because really for the Romans, they just saw Christianity and Judaism all as kind of one thing, and so to keep the peace, they just said, that's fine. 
until Christianity grew so much that they realized it's no longer a subset and it's actually changing our culture and we don't like that, so now we're going to persecute you. But at this point, it was just a subset. So the whole culture, the Jewish culture, you rest on that day, so you're not working, but Sundays you work. So what did the Troas, Troas um, early church people have to choose? To lose a day of income. Not only to lose a day of income, but then also give part of their income so that they can move forward as a church. Because they had widows. They had poor people. They had people in need. They had people to take care of. It wouldn't have changed 30 to 60 people. You've got some problems in there, right? I mean, heck, you get five people in a room and you can find problems, right? Because that's life. That's the life of the church. So they set aside, they sacrificed a day of work so that they could worship together. I wonder if we're willing to do the same. They depended on each other. They met weekly. Just take a quick glance around the room. Some of you, you're going, well, I'm not sure if I want to depend on that person. But when you're the only ones, man, I'm going to depend on you. They were it. And they decided that it was important to come together weekly. It wasn't out of convenience. It was intentional. And why? Because they loved Jesus so much. And they depended on the Lord's Supper. They depended on baptisms. Of God's work in us. That's what they did. It's so simple. How did church become so complicated? That's what they invited people into. So this little church in Troas was a family that was on mission. It wasn't about their worship times. It wasn't about how long worship would go. It wasn't the place. It wasn't what they offered. It was about Jesus. And that they saw a transformational happening within their own life because they encountered him briefly through the message of Paul. It's about God and him sending his son to become one of us and then to die for us, giving us an invitation to be a part of his family. That's what it was about. That was the message. Jesus came, became one of us. He died, he rose again. And in that resurrection, you have an invitation into the family of God. That's why they met in the upper room. That's why those people sat there in the smoke and the heat. That's why those people followed Paul. Because they wanted to be a part of the family. So it's about us meeting together. Sarah shared a little bit about this just earlier, but we saw this awesome picture yesterday, and I've been seeing it. I've been seeing it this whole year. As our covenant family continues to meet together, 
whether you've signed the covenant or not. I'll just give a quick description of what that means because some people go, well, what does that really mean? Covenant family, committed family, guests of the family. We're big on the word family. If you haven't figured out, it's not because we have a family. It's because we see everyone that's here as family, extended family. Covenant family means that you've signed a covenant. There's a covenant at Oikos Church. If you read through the covenant and you go, I agree with that covenant, I want to be held accountable, which doesn't mean that I want someone to oversee me, but I actually am inviting them to walk with me because I want to do the things that Jesus did. I want to follow his ways, his works, and his words. And you sign that covenant, you're a part of the covenant family. Isn't that simple? And in that covenant family, we're going to teach you the ways, the works, and the words of Jesus. That's what we do is we meet regularly together. It's not about how much information you have. It's not about how good you are. It's about your willingness, your posture to turn towards Jesus and say, I'm willing to follow you. Does that make sense? That's covenant family. Committed family is, I'm not sure I'm ready to sign a covenant, but I'm willing to walk with you. Willing to follow for right now, but I'm not sure. That's committed family. You're part of the extended family. We love you and we want you to walk with us. And when you're ready to accept that invitation, we're going to walk with you even more. Guests of the family. It means that you don't really know who the heck we are and you go, I'm going to be here. But um, if that guy goes over an hour, I'm out of here. That's okay. Because what we want to do is continue to invite people into the family, into all our mess-ups and our weirdness and everything else, and who Jesus made us. And we hope that you can see through all this and see a little glimpse of Jesus. That's what it is. The covenant family gatherings are that the covenant family, I'm requesting that you're there so that people can experience Jesus because we are families on mission. We are families on mission together. Helping people experience Jesus and discipling those who do. That's what Oikos is. We do it together. So you're not going to see me sending someone out solo to go do mission work. So when Paul met a few people, he said, you're going to be a family on mission. And I want you to invite other people into the family and build a big extended family. So yesterday, Sarah said there are 30 people. We got the correct count. There were 40 adults with about 15 kids. It's a great extended family. And I heard that there are a couple of our other family who came in late And so they would have been counted, but they were late. And that happens in family, right? And so when we are together, what we saw was this beautiful picture, she explained, kind of like aunts and uncles and all this kind of stuff. I was out on the Sea-Doo taking everybody that was under 21 out for rides and anyone that was over 60. (laughs) 
Well, just one. And that was Ken. Our lead elder. I wanted to put the fear of God in him, and I thought it was, I did a good job. We did it together, and these kids were out there, and I'll tell you, this is what I saw. In the past, an event like that, and this, I've worked in the church for over 20 years. In the past, an event like that, I would have said, let's make a youth trip because sea boats, water, that sounds like a youth group. So I would have said, it's a youth trip, and I would have been in charge, and we would have had about five kids in our, I mean, we're not a big church, right? So we would have five kids, 10 kids say, maybe yes. And I would have been out there with those five or 10 kids, and all you all would have done whatever, right? And I would have invested as much as I could in these five and 10 kids, and we would have had a good time. It would have been a good day. But I would have been pulled away from my family, so my kids wouldn't have got any of dad that day. These five to 10 kids would have got me, but not my family, not my wife. None of you would have got me. Not that you want me, but anyways, none of you would have got me. Just these five or 10 kids. That's okay. But what I saw happen is a natural, organic youth group emerge in just a few of the youth that were there. Those youth began inviting the younger kids to join in and play with them as well. Those kids then also joined in with us old folkies and played with us as well. It meant that we began acting as family rather than separate groups doing our own thing. Now we still separated out, we still had different conversations. Because that's what family does. But yesterday was not as much about purpose. It was about play. Because when you play together, you can then be purposeful. Because when I play with you, I hope that doesn't sound weird. When I play with you, I get to know you. Which builds trust. Builds confidence. It builds a relationship. And then when the Lord puts a purpose before us, we can do it together. That's why we have put so much effort into missional communities here at Oikos. Because in missional communities, it's us practicing what it looks like to be families on mission together. Because what we hope to do is in each missional community, that there's a potential for that missional community to be like Troas. 30 to 60 people meeting together, having play and purpose, being on mission, taking care of one another, loving one another, having fun with one another, and not making church boring, stupid, and hard. Does it sound good? Was I too harsh with those words? Boring, stupid, and hard? Kids don't repeat stupid because... Teachers don't like it. <laughs> Boring, not so smart, and hard. <laughs> That's what we made church, because we made it about all the things that it wasn't supposed to be. We made it about the music. Sorry, Jason. We made it about the music. We made it about how good a speaker the pastor is. 
We've made it about how comfortable the chairs are. We've made it about the space that we meet in. And we forget it's about really us having an invitation to become family with God. And that's why Eutychus was there that day. Now, the sad thing is that Eutychus fell out the window because he fell asleep. And he died. Nothing happened like that yesterday. However, it almost did. Because I had a lot of people on my CDU and we flipped. And so I am thankful that I'm walking around today because last night I couldn't walk around because I had a thousand cuts on my feet from all the stuff that was on the seafloor. But the kids didn't die. We all got back up and we drove back in. Not so great for Paul because he did die. This is what happened with Eutychus. So he fell out the window. He died. I'm sure everyone kind of... Eutychus just fell out. I think he's dead. And they run down three floors. And Paul runs down. He's the leader. He runs down. He went down. This is verse 10. Bent over him and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. He does exactly what Ezekiel had done in the Old Testament, laying upon him and giving him life. We don't know what happened there. Other than the hand of God made sure that Eutychus stayed alive. Then they all went back upstairs. Look, I mean, I think this is pretty amazing. Someone dies, is risen, and then they all went back upstairs and then they shared in the Lord's Supper. I'm thinking that you guys would have said, it's time to go home. The fun is done. But not them. And not only did they do that, but then they ate together. Paul continued talking to them, so he kept talking then. This was at midnight. Because what does a preacher do when you're all together? It's an opportunity to tell you more about the Lord. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. I don't know if they're greatly relieved that he was alive and well or that Paul was done talking. <laughs> but one of those two. This was the church, people. I hope you, in the, those of you that have heard the three churches, each church, it wasn't about, and I do love these things, it wasn't about smoke machines or anything else. I love smoke machines. It's kind of a running joke here is that I think on Good Friday we should have smoke machines. It needs to be cool. But it's not about those things. It doesn't mean those things are bad. So don't, a youth group is not bad. So you don't go around to another church and go, you have a youth group, you're bad. That's not the case. Youth groups aren't bad. Bible studies aren't bad. But the early church, what they did is they said, let's construct an extended family so that we can be on mission together. Let's grow and learn together. Let's be a family together. Let's have both fun and purpose together. Play and purpose together. And as we're together, we'll go on mission together. 
And that's how it exploded. That's how the church exploded. It wasn't because of the churches like, and you know, hopefully I won't be hit with this, but like it wasn't Lakewoods and Second Baptists types of churches that had everything and all these resources. It was these small little churches that changed one family at a time. One family at a time, and they exploded. They invested in a few, and through those few, the leaders led. They were released and sent on mission, and the church grew. If you want to be a part of Oikos, we want you to be a part of Oikos. If you haven't even heard about the covenant, go online. It's online, easy, read it and ask what the Lord is saying to you about it. We're not laxed about our membership process. Actually, we're even, it's a hard membership process. Because instead of you jumping through an intellectual hoop, we're asking you to jump in with God. You make that decision. Am I ready to follow Jesus? And if I am, be a member of Oikos. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here and present and your Holy Spirit has surrounded this place. We thank you for a great day at the bay. And for those that missed it, Lord, may this be an invitation to come to the next one. Lord, we also pray that we would continue to give those invitations. No matter how many times someone tells us no, to continue to invite them to experience what this family looks like. Lord, I thank you for the blessings that you've brought to each of us who've experienced what your extended family looks like, the love, the concern, the growth that occurs within it. May you lift us up each time that we feel alone and remind us of that invitation into the larger family. Lord, we thank you for the story at the Church of Troas. We thank you for Eutychus, that he was a youth that sat in there and listened to Paul. He probably didn't understand everything, but he was excited about Jesus. So he was with the group. He was with the family. Lord, may we invite our family each day to experience you. And may we also invite those who do not know you to join the family, to have fun, to put aside all these religious attitudes and methodologies that we try to do, to try to make ourselves feel more holy, but instead break us down, invite us into your family, and let us just, as children, follow you and fall at your feet and know that that's enough. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can take away from it. We are just simply identified as your children. And that's enough. In your name we pray. Amen.